Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone. Welcome back. I know we are certainly happy to be here to discuss the new season of Strange New Worlds. We took about, what, four to six weeks off after the finale of Picard? Yeah, we needed the shore leave after a really, a really intense season. It was just too Picard. much. We it was too take. much. Yeah, it was too exciting. We are back, though, and we are ready to talk about Trek again. We are back from shore leave. I do want to thank all of our longtime listeners for continuing to support the show. Also, all of you new listeners that started to surge in over the last, I don't know, what was it, 16 to 24 months that I've noticed an uptick. So we are happy you are here as well. If you haven't had the opportunity, please take a moment to leave us a review in iTunes and give us a rating as well and if you catch the show on youtube be sure to give us a thumbs up and click subscribe because all of that helps us stay afloat and continue to and so david i'm not i'm not doing it <laughs> yeah I'm not doing. See, you know, I hate breaks. This is what happens like when you're on shore leave. Yes. Yeah, you you've been. I forget how to speak. You've been playing. You've been playing too much on the uh, Ferengi uh, holodeck with <laughs> with some illegal well, that, that illegal holodeck. That would be fun. That would the, the hollow suite. The hollow suite. Yes, hollow the hollow suite. Uh, yes, computer, please uh, put Nurse Chapel, Land, and Seven to Nine ASAP in this uh, program. <laughs> I need and dress them up as nurses. I need I need physical aid. Yeah. First aid, first aid. I know mouth to mouth isn't a thing anymore, but please, dude. I still say the funniest thing by far was actually seeing uh, the one character from TNG uh, that everyone makes fun of for making like the hol- uh, holodeck a joke. Forgot the character's name now. Barkley. Barkley. Yeah. When you go to Barkley's, everyone's like this Viking setting, and everyone's dressed in like these Stanley like clad. Renaissance. It's Renaissance. Yeah, it's a Renaissance. Yeah. Renaissance, yeah. <laughs> I'm like going, yeah, yeah. That would be all of us. They made it a point to make fun of poor Barkley and TNG, but let's, let's be, be honest. Let's be clear. Every single one of you sickos out there would do the exact same thing that Barkley did. Oh, yeah. The first yeah. chance you get. Yeah. And also, uh, not just guys, women would do it oh, too. Absolutely. Listen, I said sickos. <laughs> sickos. Dave. Yeah, sickos is non-gender specific, and I used it specifically. Specifically for everyone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, let's reel this back in here. Okay, Star Trek Strange New World Season 2 is here, and we are ready for it, David. I was very excited to push play today. I wasn't sure what to expect, especially since I'm used to being um, let down. Let down. I was very excited after seeing season one because it was stellar. It was a return to form. And when I say return to form, yes. that's not meant to be a negative about all the other stuff we've been getting because I'm, I'm all about Star Trek Discovery. I'm all about Star Trek Picard. I'm all about the, the animations we have. But Strange New Worlds stands on its own currently in, in terms of how it is written, you know, being yeah. not necessarily a straight up serial, but more or less episodic with some serial elements, more like Deep Space Nine or even the later seasons of Enterprise. So that is what I mean when I say a return to form. Well, yeah, because I honestly feel that if you were to look at Star Trek Strange New Worlds and compare them to the other Star Trek series... Strange New Worlds brings something different to the table, I felt, after season one. And especially after this episode, it kind of hit me that Strange New Worlds is the only one that I feel out of all of the the TV shows or streaming shows that they have that really brings almost kind of like that element that is missing in television where could you see this show turning into kind of like a water cooler type of show? 
where everyone is talking about it, not just Star Trek fans. Well, there was an article that was published. I want to say it was from Variety or Hollywood Report. It's one of the bigger trades. And they were talking about Strange New Worlds. And they were specifically, it wasn't a promotion. So it wasn't like they weren't interviewing anyone. They were just talking about it being one of the first entry-level Star Trek shows in 40 years. Really? Yeah. Well, when did TNG come out? Yeah, almost. Jesus Christ. 40 years. Almost at this point, right? 84, 85, 86, around there. Around there, yeah. So let's say 30 plus years. But my point is, it's one of the few entry-level shows. And we don't, just in general, when you look at geekdom and fandom in general, you look at these long-going franchises, these long-running franchises, sometimes they start to feel a little exclusive. Yes. Because they've been running so long that it's hard for new fans to get in. Supernatural is a good example of that. That TV show, it ran 15 seasons. So it's hard to just say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to jump in here during season 10 and check out what's going on. And when you're dealing with Star Trek, some of our listeners, David, to our listeners to other shows, they have reached out and asked about other podcasts that we do. And they specifically mentioned Star Trek. And they've asked me, hey, you, I like listening to you guys talk. You guys have an interesting insight into like the movie making process and, and, you know, analysis I want to listen to you guys talk about Star Trek, but I've never watched Star Trek and I don't know where to start. And I never thought about that before because to me, I was raised in Star Trek. My mother watched it from, from a very young age. That's all I remember is watching Star Trek. So because of that, I just never stopped and and thought about, well, where would someone who's never been exposed to Star Trek really start? And I don't know if I would suggest the original series because to people who aren't, immersed in the world of star trek i don't feel like it would work for them because it's very dated yes but my point is is that the average person may be turned off if i were to tell them we'll start with the original series exactly but now i say start with strange new worlds and then jump around work your way through every series because i don't feel like any series is truly beholden to another series no because like Especially like nowadays, I find myself telling people, I used to say, hey, start uh, the original series, but I've come to the conclusion that the problem with saying that to someone that's just starting into Star Trek today is not realizing that that person is going to be looking at a series that was made for a generation that is arguably tw- uh, 20 years behind them. Because you got to understand, the original series was made back in the 60s. That makes it 40-plus years old. 40-plus. You can't see it now for uh, TNG even, because TNG, I looked it up. You realize TNG is 37 years old. Okay, so I was right the second time. Yeah. And it it it, uh, it first broadcast in 1987. The I. I wouldn't even tell people to start with TNG. Because it's a different generation. You know what I told the listener? I said, if you want to get into Star Trek, start with Strange New Worlds, season one. Listen to our podcast in tandem after each episode so we can fill in the blanks, things that you may not be aware of, things that maybe you had questions about. We'll answer them, guaranteed, in our discussion. Then watch the original series movies. Yes. Watch that the movies. will give you a good taste of the era and, and the swashbuckling atmosphere of the, the original series era. So, yes, bringing it back, Strange New Worlds is definitely, David, that's a great point, Dave. It's an entry-level Star Trek show, without a doubt. And ever since we started actually this new era of Star Trek, me and you covering it, can we actually say since the beginning we've been, is there, was there entry-level? You couldn't say that with Picard. And unfortunately, no, yeah. you couldn't say it with Discovery because yeah. Discovery decided to go off and do their own thing. Discovery relied a lot on what came before because yes. you had, yeah, the whole Spock equation. Yeah, no, you're right. All right. So let's bring it specifically down to this episode now, uh, which is the season two premiere titled The Broken Circle. And it was quite the premiere, uh, a little different for a typical episode of Trek or possibly you could say it's par for the course 
if you take into account the new era of Trek that we're currently in. Interestingly, we were given a premiere where the captain was MIA, MIA. for more than 90% of the episode. And the majority of the narrative was built around Spock. And I don't think it is necessarily a bad thing being centered around Spock, but, and this is sheer conjecture, David, and we had alluded to this a bit during our pre-show available on our Patreon page. When you take into account the season one finale yes, and the emphasis placed on the importance of Spock's legacy with future Pike clearly implying that some people's futures are more important than others than others. Yeah. Clearly contrasting Spock's potential legacy with that of his. So with that being said, are we going to get seasons as we progress in strange new worlds that are more and more centered around Spock? I think so, because I think that's the, the underlying story telling element that they are trying to do. And I can kind of gauge from it just how after season one and especially with a lot of like the news that's been leaked out there for this mm -hmm. upcoming season, what we're witnessing is actually kind of like the genesis of the enterprise crew that we as the fans grew up with. Right. Meaning Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, Scotty, all those legacy characters, but we have to see them get there first. Right. And Spock at this point is not the Spock that we all know that he is not that analytical, logical machine that we see in the original series. This is him when he's young. When this, is, he, this is Spock from the pilot that never aired. Exactly. From the pilot that never aired. Yeah. And we have to see that transition. And I think that's what is the underlying story for strange new worlds is how do we get from this cast mm -hmm. when the, in their infancy to the crew that we all know as the crew of the enterprise. And I think that's why they brought in characters that we were surprised with last season with Uhura bring in Uhura. Okay. She's been introduced. Now we can understand she's one, uh, uh, she's going to be moved into that spot of one of the original legacy characters. Right. Now we know that basically, you know, Kirk is going to be this season. So we're going to get that introduction of Captain, or sorry, not Captain, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Kirk. Yeah. Well, that is why, David, I don't have a problem with it, but I just wanted to see where you were, where your head was at with this. Because in a lot of ways, if they want to continue the original series era, this is the most logical direction to it continue is. in. Don't just stop once Pike you know, gets to that fateful moment. Let's work all the way up to that moment so that when we get to it and we do have to bring this specific show to an end, everyone else that we have in play is already where they should be to start the era of Kirk. To start the era of Kirk. I mean, exactly. It, I honestly think that's what their strategy is. Now, I'm sure nothing's been greenlit. It's far too into the future, but I'm sure the writers, the people that are in charge, Kurtzman, Akiva Goldsman, they're thinking and they're thinking ahead. Oh yeah. And they're like, okay, how can we bring Kirk back into the second season, which he, he will be a part because they're, they want to keep him fresh on everyone's mind because their end game guaranteed is to get an original series show again, again, or movie, because this is what I've said for the last five years. Well, maybe longer than that. If we take into account 2009, uh, the 2009 reboot led by JJ Abrams, it's always about Kirk. It's always about Spock. It's always been about McCoy. Those are the biggest marketable characters. Those are the characters. And I'm also going to throw in Picard that the mainstream. know. Yes. when you mention Star Trek to people who don't even watch Star Trek, they know who Spock is. They know who captain Kirk is and they know who Picard is. And those are the three names. And that is why we keep returning to Kirk, Spock, and Picard. Yes. Because the mainstream know who they are. They are household names. So that's the strategy. In my mind, that's the direction they're going purposely. They're going to craft this series more and more. And as we get closer to the end, Pike will have his moments. And Pike will definitely be front and center. I'm not saying he won't be. Oh, yeah. But 
take into account what was set up in the season finale of last year. It was specifically said some people's futures are more important than others. And then what do we have? The very next episode, the season premiere of season two is completely centered around Spock. Around Spock. And like, we still have the element that basically the thing I thought was genius is they did not just jump straight to Spock. They, they quickly explained, Hey, mm-hmm. Pike has a mission. He's off on a way because he's, he, he has his own goal and he's going to work on that. What he's got his own little story. That he's he got up, his yeah. own little story that he set up. So he's not forgotten. And I love the little, little ties they did uh, writing wise where you have Pike saying, this is the beginning of the five-year mission. This is the beginning of the five-year mission for the, the crew of the Enterprise. Okay, setting it up. Setting it up as basically we're going to see this crew come together and essentially transition into the crew that we all in, in pop culture know and love. Correct, yeah. That's what has me really excited. Now, the, if they do it, like how they're doing it in the first season and second season where they're taking their time. They're not rushing it. Right. Bones isn't going to show up just out of nowhere and say, hi, how's it going? He's in the next episode. He's watch. in the next episode. <laughs> and I was like, okay, no, they're going to do it really slowly. Like with Kirk, Kirk is only going to show up probably sporadically. And they don't in this need season. it. They don't need it. This show is successful on its own. Now they don't need the gimmick casting. They yeah. don't need to throw in, you know, you remember this guy, if, and when they do, it's going to be purposeful. It's going to be strategic. So, David, from from a fan perspective, I don't see a problem with what they did with this episode no. as it pertains to Pike. But as a critic, someone who's not maybe looking at the strategy, it seems like it's not entirely smart to remove Pike from the premiere when you're dealing with a 10 episode season. Yeah. Now that's something you can get away with back in the old days when we had 20 plus we had 20 episodes plus. in a single season. So we'll see what other critics may say. It seems like for the most part, most people that are writing the blogs seem to enjoy the premiere. So it might've worked in their favor. And I think that's, that's what the strange new worlds team has earned. They've earned that that moniker now since they gave us a very strong first season. Let's go ahead and be patient with them and see what they give us in totality right. in the second season. And also this new era of Trek, is a, even though there's some people that say it's the Discovery's The Burnham Show, which is, which is not. It's not. It Maybe the first season was, but for the most part, you're dealing with an ensemble cast. This new era of Star Trek isn't just about one individual. That's what's very different from the Kurtzman era and the Berman era. Now, people will say, well, what are you talking about? We had ensemble casts. Not really. You had supporting players, but for the most part, TNG centered around Picard, Picard and, data. and then Data. Yeah. And then every, epi- every season had various episodes that centered around our other supporting cast. But they, it wasn't really a true ensemble cast. In this new Voyager was definitely not an ensemble cast. You had multiple players, but it was not an ensemble cast. Deep Space Nine probably is the only Trek of the Berman era that is a true ensemble cast. Yeah, because like you if, had guest stars that had mass. You had not even supporting players. You had guest stars. Yeah, that had their own story arcs. Oh yeah, and in, in, in uh, DS Nine, but I mean like. When you take a look at how each of the series was was put together, the main the main emphasis has always been the captain, the captain of the ship. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, Picard, and, and, uh, Picard was TNG, and that's right. And, and my point is bringing it back because we're getting off topic here. But my point is is that one thing that they're doing in their favor, well, one of many things they're doing in their favor is they're building out an ensemble cast, mm-hmm. so possibly removing someone like Pike is okay and works because we have other characters mm-hmm. that we like. Now, imagine they did this with a classic episode of the original series. Oh, it'd be... It'd be if they remove Kirk, you're like, wait, what the fuck is happening? 
no Kirk. Yes, but that's the benefit of having a a real ensemble cast and fleshing them out because when you do remove a certain character for maybe an episode, it's okay for the most part with the fans because we have come to know these other characters and we enjoy uh, their stories because we're invested. And it goes to it just on a last last bit. It just goes to add your other point, which was because they ended the first season so well with Pike ending that ending Pike's quote unquote story in season one with him saying some, some people's futures are more important than others. Then all of a sudden now we can, now we as the audience have been now taught or kind of like subliminal uh, had a subliminal message that said, Hey, this is Pike's emphasis. Uh, goal that he just made now we as the audience can say okay it's not about pike's legacy it's about everybody else's now right so suddenly we transition to the season season two and like what you said pike's not around but we're going to focus on someone else yep so switching gears we do have a lot to get through so we should probably move on we're already 23 minutes in and we really haven't gotten to the episode yes so some of the highlights of our discussion topics we're going to get through briefly, the Klingons are back and the makeup department did a good job giving us variations, meaning we got more of the classic Klingons and also versions that looked more similar to what Discovery had done. And they blended them a bit, which we're, we're going to talk about that because that's a big talking point that we have used for discussions since Discovery season one. Uh, Pike is off to help Una beat her eugenics charges. We have some new faces, Commander Pelia. It seems also like the Gorn will be a major obstacle this season. And I will say this again, Trek's production team knows how to use that AR volume production better than most people. Better than most people do. Specifically, and I'm pointing fingers, Lucasfilm. When <laughs> the you, ones who, who started this. They're the ones who really made it a thing. And they have ran into the ground to the point where you're watching moments of the Mandalorian and you're like, oh my God, that looks like an LED screen. Motherfuckers it looks, it looks learn lazy. how to use it. Yeah, it looks lazy. Discovery's usage is mind blowing. So they they use it the right way. So we're probably gonna get into an article if we have time. During our first hour, I want to get into a cinematography article where the cinematographer himself talks about shooting, how he gives it this look to, to create this, this grounded feel as opposed to just high definition. Yes. And he contrasts the difference between high definition and then having your photography grounded in grit, essentially. It, yeah, it's so important and it's the reason why strange new worlds it looks so vivid and looks so it's fucking mind-blowing at it's times real sometimes when we first went to that klingon moon oh my god dude that shot there's fucking birds They're by fucking the water i had to i zoomed in there's like little flocks of birds that you can't even see unless you pay attention so the detail the amount of detail they went to certain scenes is is really mind-blowing. It's really it's, good. It's it's the same thing that basically me and you have got have just lauded over since season one is like the the scene of Hammer's death from season one. Oh, it's beautiful. When he's standing there and you see the background and you can see the snowflakes. You can see the little yeah. drops of snow and you can see like particles of ice all over him. And it it it, it looks so vivid. It looks real. Yeah. It's one of those things that basically I'm happy that it, that wasn't a one-off. We're going to see more of that in season two. Yeah. Especially after, after the, this past episode. Yeah. All right. So we, we do have a lot to get through. And David, if we do run out of time, I want to finish our discussion for our Patreon subscribers. So go to patreon.com slash Digital to subscribe and you'll gain access to hundreds of hours of additional from the holodeck content and of course the extended portion of this episode that's not to say you're not gonna have a complete discussion we will finish our discussion we're not just gonna 
do a hard out. <laughs> exactly. We will give our, our grades and then we'll close out and then we'll start the second hour for Patreon. So this episode was directed by Chris Fisher and written by Henry Myers and Akiva Goldsman. That's probably having Akiva Goldsman name, seeing Akiva Goldsman's name there. We know that basically, okay, from, ep- from this episode, it's not going to be the one problem I've always had with certain TV shows is like, oh, the, the, the lead showrunner or the person behind the scenes, we, you know, your mastermind does not have any say in the first episode. And I've seen it before. And the CW is infamous for this. <laughs> and I'm really happy that basically for Strange New Worlds and the way that Paramount has tackled it since their rough outing in the very beginnings, they've gone back to a more classic approach. Hey, Akiva Goldsman started this. We're going to have him continue this. Yeah. We have to bring him in and keep, keep his narrative, you know, universe that he's creating and keep it going. Let's, let's him set the table for us. Then we can actually have other writers come in and other writers can tackle. Okay. Here, tackle this episode. You tackle this episode. We get to this episode. Akiva's back. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Kiva Goldsman is just a perfect get for this show because it's a show that wanted to be retro in its format. Yes. And because of that, Akiva Goldsman was the perfect pick because he's a veteran in the television field. He knows how to write that type of television. I don't want to call it factory television, but essentially this format was made popular during the rise of television. Yeah. And it's called factory television. But the reason why it's so concise is because it's manufactured to fit into certain beats of suspense so that people don't want to quit watching when TV when TV commercials used to be a thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why when you go watch old TV shows, the intensity is every six to seven minutes you have this buildup because they're going to go to a commercial break. Exactly. And to me, that's a missing art because now it's just this. a lot of times the, the intensity, the suspense, the action, it's just a bit of a meandering mess within mm-hmm. the narrative because they don't have those definitive structures that they have to get to. In fact, Netflix's CEO said this himself three years ago, and I almost fucking threw my phone through the window when he said this. And his whole idea of writing television is we don't care about what happens at the end of the episode. We care about one goal, and that's getting to that final episode. Final episode. Because of the binge format. But that binging has made television writers lazy. In their craft. Yes. So to see a show written like this, it's very concise. It's definitely appealing to to the likes of of me. Well, All it's right. also so very different because, like, you got to remember, a lot of people, especially nowadays, I've seen this in a lot of uh, writing circles, especially in film writing. The one thing I constantly see people say is, take your time. Take your time. Don't rush. You rush, it's bad. But everyone's forgotten back in the old days in television writing had to rush Mm -hmm. because you were only given so much time to actually tell your narrative. And nowadays, I think because everyone sees old television as archaic, they forget that basically, you know, there's actually there's actually some skill that makes your story flow better if you're a television. Yeah. And going in with that line of thought there, Dave, I mean, the technical aspects of this script specifically were on point. The, the teaser, the, the teaser, the opening with eight, seven, eight minutes was one of the best setups yeah. in this modern era of Trek that I've seen in an episode. Television, as you were saying, is just not written as tight as it used to be. And with a teaser like we got, it makes me miss the days when things were written in a formula that was designed to keep people tuned in. So what exactly did this teaser do? What are we talking about? Well, first off, picking up pretty close to where we left off, Una is set to go on trial for lying about what species she is. She is. And Pike is off to go see if he can help her get off the hook. 
that entire scenario with Una is very intriguing because it hinges on various philosophical ideas pertaining to ethics of eugenics, uh, something that Star Trek has explored pretty much since its conception. And I really do hope they delve deep into the pros and cons of eugenics using the philosophy of ethics. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they have to, it's in season one, that was kind of like a very big underlying tone, especially with Una's story in season one. Yeah. And it, not just Una's now that I think about it, it was also had to do with, uh, I hope I say your name again, because I keep messing it up. It's Leon, uh, Leon, uh, Leanne, but Leanne's story coming from hers and basically dealing with her issues that she has because of her race, that also comes into play. And I think that that in itself helps carry that underlying tone of like what you said, Let's see what Star Trek has to say about the eugenics war because it's been something that's always been around. Well, there's a, a, a comment that was made. I don't know what Star Trek series it was in, but it always stuck with me. And it goes like superior ability breeds superior ambition. And I believe the comment was being made about the augments themselves and it would be an interesting aspect for the writers to explore the reason why eugenics didn't work for humanity. But that doesn't mean it wouldn't work for other people. The idea of the augments and the mistakes they made was that they created these superior beings, but their empathy was not superior. It was not superior. They had no empathy. Th- and that was the flaw. So if they go in and dissect the differences of humanity versus say the Illyrians, that would be such an amazing exploration into the human condition. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like if you think about it, I think you got that from the, uh, from enterprise. Is that okay? I think you got that from enterprise because that was actually during the, the run that Brett Spiner had as a, such a good story. arc. Oh my God, dude, that, that was, and, and it had the most chilling ending Mm -hmm. because Spiner, Soong's ancestor is the epitome of a person that has no empathy. You know, the fact that he says, oh, it didn't work. I think I'll go into cybernetics instead. Just without any, not any remorse, nothing. Well, he was okay. He wasn't really a bad guy. He wasn't one. a bad guy, but he was a character who lacked empathy. Yeah. Because he didn't, he didn't quantify they, or understand why everyone was upset about his scientific mind. The, the Soong family has a very, peculiar set of moral principles <laughs> and it's fun though dude when you see it yeah but like enterprise was the one series that i remember that d- dived into the morals of eugenics so if they do that oh i think it'd be really cool. if they don't do it david it would be such a lost opportunity or a missed opportunity and i'm not saying they need to delve into exactly what i'm talking about but if they're doing this entire story arc with una yeah and eugenics they need to go the distance with it. They really need to dissect it. Oh yeah. And not just like doing fan service. Like I'm sure what you mean is like not doing the fan service and say, Hey, remember we did this and back in the other series. No, no, no. Just diving into the actual philosophy. Yes. It needs to be geared around philosophy. Yeah. And there, there is a quite a bit of philosophy written around the idea of eugenics and, and strange new worlds. It, in season one proved that every single episode they can do that mm-hmm. every single episode in season one delved into one little bit of philosophy just a little bit just to get our appetite wet and make the audience think for itself yes all right so also dave the teaser set up the main narrative for the episode spock taking the captain's seat and also the continuation of the love story between himself and chapel oh dude did it i gave me so many motion picture vibes remember i remember in a past show me and you when we covered the original motion picture we were saying man it's really cold how spock just like cold shoulders chapel when she sees him yeah and then did you notice that in this episode he does the same thing yeah it's (laughs) different though i think in the in this one he's um He's trying not to feel. He's trying not to feel. Whereas the one from motion picture, their interaction, it was more about he didn't have any feelings at yes. that moment. 
So, and that's why that scene was so freaking soul crushing. Even if you watch it now, if you watch it now, it's even worse. It's worse because we now see this relationship between the two of them. That was definitely there because there was always allusions to their relationship in the original series, or I don't want to say relationship, but their feelings for each other. But it, 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 it goes into the question of the philosophy of Spock embracing that logical side right now. He's in, he's at, uh, just like what I alluded to earlier, this character is in its infancy. He's at a crossroads too, when it comes to his emotions and, and dealing yeah. with it. He and, is not the logical machine that we know. No. And that's, that's one thing that they're doing. I keep saying one thing I need to remove that because they're doing a lot of great things, but that is an element that I really appreciate. They're taking something that was never supposed to be a part of star Trek. And it just, eventually became a yeah. part of Star Trek canon. And I'm talking about the, the pilot itself. The pilot was never meant to be seen. It was scrapped and they reworked it. And in the original pilot, you have scenes where Spock is obviously showing emotion. Yes. And it's always been a bit of a sore thumb because it was brought into canon. And they have tried to work around it, right? There's been various moments throughout star trek where they explain spock and his emotions and blah 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 yeah, but yeah. we we all understand his struggle but this is the show that's taking that bit from the scrapped pilot and actually explaining why he smiled yes. why he showed why he showed emotion mo yeah bits of emotion and that as a star trek fan i feel such a it's a reward. It's a reward, a but it's also as a fan, it's soul crushing because it's like you also as a human, we really, it really puts into perspective that, that as a that, human, as, a as human, opposed to what? Well, as a, as opposed to being a Vulcan, because as a Vulcan, you're supposed to be a logical machine. This is how we're, this is how Spock is to become. Right. He has to become that logical, you know, by the numbers machine that we know him. But as a human, we want to say it used to be as a fan. I had this discussion with a, a friend of mine about this. They were having issues because they were like going, I used to be okay with how Spock was, you know, he's this logical person yeah. that would question bones and Kirk constantly and be kind of like a, uh, a thorn in their side. But now you look at it, you go, it's not so great in realizing that basically he becomes that and all that emotion, what makes him quote unquote human is gone. He learns to suppress it yeah. essentially. And to be fair to the writers and just to, or to offer uh, a varying opinion, I guess would be a better way of saying it. I mean, Spock always did have a bit of a sense of humor, even in the original series when he's supposed to be watching himself and not understanding jokes, jokes. And yet he ribs, McCoy Constantly. numerous times <laughs> and he even makes subtle jokes. So it's something that's not completely foreign. And that's why I feel like everything they're doing in strange new worlds with Spock feels very much on par with the Spock. We eventually come to know. Okay. So also in the teaser, yes, we're still just in the teaser. <laughs> it introduced the main plot motivator, which was La, La Anne's distress call. Yes. And the Amaral mentions to Spock that they are dealing with something more important at the moment when he requ requested to investigate the uh, distress call. And as we find out, Admiral April was talking about a problem with the Gorn. Yes. So think about this, David. With the teaser, eight minutes, Goldsman and Myers literally set up every major plot point that will be used to shape the narrative, not just for the episode, but possibly even for the season. You have Una's trial. You have Spock and Chapel. You have Mbanga also dealing with his PTSD. Mm -hmm. You have the Gorn situation. All in the teaser that will probably be big elements for the rest of the season. That is how you write a script. Yeah, for television. For television. So the main point I want to say of this episode, or at least our discussion moving forward is going to be centered around Spock, which I think is appropriate. I think it is. Yeah. Spock being in charge. The emphasis behind the narrative, and I'm sure this will be 
a big part of the entire season is Spock experiencing stress because of what he did. What did they say? He broke the suppressive cognitive blocks. Yes. I believe is that what Mbanga said. Mm -hmm. And he had removed them or broken them down because he had to unleash his anger in order to combat and defeat the Gorn. And since then, he is struggling to deal with emotions, which he already was struggling to begin with. So interestingly, and this is a fun little wink, wink, nod, nod. Mbanga suggested that Spock play music to aid in dealing with his emotional instability. You know, challenging his emotion into expression is, I believe, what he said. And Mbanga handed Spock the harp or the, what is the Vulcan lute? Yes. Or the um, lyre? I, I, is that what it's called? The Vulcan lyre? I always called it the Vulcan lute. So. Yeah. So we see now how Spock got that. I did laugh because what? Mbanga just has a Vulcan harp. Because <laughs> he turned around, handed him a harp. I'm like, dude, you did it. Where? <laughs> where, where did this come from, bro? Mbanga is just awesome. He's just, just awesome, He's part of his first aid kit or what? It's just like, here you go. Well, you got to remember, he's he, Mbanga apparently can pull anything out of his ass. <laughs> because like, Mbanga is like one of those characters that they're, they've portrayed him as kind of like the guy who's the go-to answer for everybody because of his experience and his wisdom and everything else. And I loved it. I loved it because essentially what they did is they gave us the one character that in all Star Treks, we always have that one character that is the, the kind of like the leader note. The older, the older hand, the, 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 the guy that everyone on the uh, ship will go to, to get advice. <laughs> it's, it's, it happens in every Star Trek, every Star Trek series has that one character and Banga is the one that basically did. And I love the fact that he's just not a fix it guy. They, they're also created like this character that has so much depth. Yeah. They're giving him a lot to work with. One interesting aspect about Spock's story, and I wasn't sure if they were going to really go full bore into this particular aspect of Spock's story. I'm fine with it because I love it, but it's the Nurse Chapel aspect. I was wondering if they were going to start pulling back just a bit because we know at some point they're going to have to be a little more formal with, with each other because in the original series, you can tell that they had something at one point and then there's even moments where chapel gets mad at At Spock. Spock. Yeah. And it's not mad because he did something to her. It's mad. Like a girlfriend gets mad at her boyfriend because something they didn't do. They were insensitive about something. I forgot what episode of the original series it was, but I believe she even threw something at him in sick bay because she was so upset with the way he was acting. Yes. So I wasn't sure if we're going to start working towards that. I think we will eventually. Yes. But I do like what they're doing. I'm not a shipper, Dave. You know, I make jokes a lot, but I would say in all of Star Trek, there's two ships that I'm all about, but it has to do with the tragic love, the love that can't be. And I think that's why the chapel and Spock relationship really works for me. I love it. And the same thing with my second ship is Tucker and DePaul. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Yeah. I, it's written so well. And the chapel and Spock one, it's, it's rivaling. And I know people might say, well, what about Riker and Troy? To me, it was too easy. No, that's easy. That's easy. Just, pickings. It was just an easy relationship too. Yeah. I like things that are struggle. Yeah, there, there has to be a struggle for it. Yes. And that's what makes a really cool dynamic Two relationship. different people yeah. who fall in love against all odds. That's what Tucker and DePaul was, and that's what Chapel and Spock is or are. And I, I freaking love it. I think it really works well. And there's just those little moments that work in that entire scenario's favor, like Spock's heart rate going up. Yes. When he sees when Chapel, he's, he's Chapel. <laughs> you know, and then Chapel obviously wanting to uh, get away from it. She even asked for a bit of a temporary leave to go someplace else for a while. 
obviously that's she chose that to get away from Spock for the time being. They're both dealing with this these emotions, knowing that it can't go anywhere. Yeah. Because he's already engaged or betrothed to get married. So we'll see where it goes. I do like it. Um, let's keep it away from the melodrama, but let's, I don't need melodrama over too much melodrama. You just want to see them bang. No, no, no. I don't mind sadness. What they're doing last season, what they're doing now is fine because it's not immature melodrama. It's real life in a lot of ways. How many situations do people find themselves in where they fall in love with their workmate or they fall in love with someone they shouldn't? And what do you do with those feelings? You know, when you have no outlet. Exactly. So it's an interesting story that is relatable to a lot of people. Now, there's also this bit where, <laughs> where Emerald, April's comment, I just thought that was a bit of a nod, I'm sure, to the cage. When Emerald, April's comment Spock about, uh, what do you say, about the, I when think, Spock oh. brought the Enterprise back and he said, don't do this. Don't do this. <laughs> the next time. You do something like this, there'll be consequences. No doubt that's a bit of foreshadowing. Yes. Probably because we all know that he commandeers the Enterprise and but dude, how takes many- it to save who? Or not save, but to take Pike to Talos right. 4 where he can live out his life in an illusion, basically. How many times, Mike, does the Enterprise have to be stolen by Spock? <laughs> I mean, the, he just seems to do it every single freaking or time. Or people steal it for him. <laughs> yeah, people like, steal it for you know, him. Kirk and, you know, trying to save him from that torpedo tube on Genesis. <laughs> Genesis. <laughs> but I'm like going, how many times they just have some really crappy security <laughs> on protecting yeah. the Enterprise. Okay, Dave, then we had Spock and his, cla- I guess, his moment to to say his, his version of engage. Oh, I know you make you, it. So yes. I want to see what you say about this. I did think it was funny. I'm not, I'm not against humor. When Spock says, I would like the ship to go. That is funny. I yes. laughed, but I will say that I am a little over the meta aspects when they yeah. try to talk to us. And then there's this weird thing they did. And it started in 2017 with the new era of Star Trek where they are trying to convince the fans and the fans have been convinced that every captain has something they say, (laughs) they say they don't. But card said, make it so. And he said, engage. He's the only one. Yeah. Archer didn't say anything. Janeway didn't say anything. Kirk didn't say anything. Cisco didn't say anything. (laughs) Kirk, he occasionally said, Take us out. But that's not even a thing. <laughs> yeah. So since 2017, there is this weird thing that's not true that everyone has subscribed to. It's completely false. It's fiction. It's only because of Picard. It really is. When you think about it, that trope in Star Trek was only created because of TNG. Because and Picard would always say, engage. We talked about this on a recent Weird West radio discussion, which is a, a podcast we do about Westerns. And we actually talk about this specific situation and why rephrase what we said when I don't think we can say it better than how we said it in this show. So I'm just going to play it. Okay. All right. So basically in this clip, just to give some context, we're talking about postmodernism, how it pertains or is connected to film and television. And we go into a discussion briefly about Star Trek and it says what we were talking about perfectly. Yeah. So, yeah, that's different. But you are right. You are touching on a valid point. We're in this weird it's not even postmodernism anymore. It's like post postmodernism or as Thomas Cowley put it a few <laughs> days ago when we were talking about this very thing, he's calling it neo-memetic metacinema. That's a new term. I love it. <laughs> I, love, I it. love it. I told him we're gonna, I'm going to stamp it and I'm going to copyright it and I'm going to steal it. It's a great piece of technical terminology because it encapsulate what's happening right now. The reason why we even have postmodernism as we as we call it for film, obviously there are various definitions for postmodernism. I'm speaking specifically of 
the definition that pertains to cinema, which means we redo things. Yeah. It started with the movie Bratz in the 1960s. Spielberg, Scorsese, George Lucas, Coppola, borrowing things. They were fans of movies. They, st- they were the first people to study and analyze film in college. And because of that, they had this deep love of what came before. So they utilize a lot of those inspirations. And we had the video brats, Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino. They did the same thing, postmodernism, but they weren't ripping ideas. Same thing with the movie brats. What they were doing was taking the aesthetics, the style, stylizations, and they used it to create their own movie that captured a bygone era, if you will. Yes. What we're seeing now over the last 10 years is not an homage. It's no longer postmodernism. It's mimetic. You're mimicking, mimicking what we saw without any real innovation behind it. Oh, yeah. You're just copying it. And then you're speaking to the audience saying, hey, you guys remember this? And that's the metacinema aspect. So you have the mimetic aspect and then you have the breaking the fourth wall, making sure audiences know that, hey, you remember this callback? We, we do this all the time. We do this all the time now. You know, it's, it's the same thing with the, the latest trailer for strange new world season two where they they focus on what captains say now when they want to go to warp that's never been a thing until four years ago <laughs> where they're now saying every captain has a thing and they draw attention to it as if that is a thing in their world it's a thing to us which means they're speaking to us yes it's mimetic metacinema it absolutely is so that's the gist of it yeah Th- that's my thoughts on this whole what are you gonna say now that you're in the captain seat you're speaking to the audience and I just don't like when shows break the fourth wall just for fan service reasons. Yeah. If you break the fourth wall, there's got to be a very good reason for it. A creative reason, a stylistic reason. Very few shows can break the fourth wall in, in an intellectual manner. Supernatural did it with their version of God where God was essentially the writer of the show. But that was a narrative tool. Yes, that is perfect. That is a perfect version of meta cinema where you're talking to the audience. But now you have this new thing where they include these aspects and they're convincing us and they have convinced us that this has always been a part of Star Trek. And I'm like, no, it's never been a part of Star Trek. And and it kind of bothers me a bit. It does. Even though it it was funny with Spock saying... I would like this ship to go Go now. (laughs) It it does irk me a bit, David. And that could be entirely because I'm an angry person. I think actually for me, it's, I was, I'm slightly like, I'm, I'm on board with you. Like I need, if you're going to break the fourth wall, do it narratively as a tool to give your story substance. If they want captains to start saying things. Yeah. Then don't draw attention to it. it. Just do the way Picard season three ended. With seven oh my about God. to say whatever you, she's going to say. Yeah, our eyes rolled in the I'm back like, of our head. Why do you got to draw attention to it? And then you had this whole buildup with Burnham and Discovery. And hers is the worst. <laughs> let's fly. Let's fly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's fly. Ooh. But like it, that, it is very annoying because yeah. it's kind of like that. And for me, that is not even Star Trek. That's not like a Star Trek joke. That's a pop culture joke. Yeah. That's a, 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 a viewer who's not even a Star Trek fan looking at going, Hey, that, you know, that's funny. That's funny that they do that in that show. Let's yeah. do it like that. No, yeah, it's social media. <laughs> it, yeah. Infiltrating the writing room you in know, a lot of ways. The only times, the only times I've ever seen fourth wall breaking work, comedy, something like Deadpool or, you know, just like what you said, Supernatural. Supernatural was the perfect thing. I love the times when they would go into a parallel universe and all of a sudden they're playing the actors. Mm-hmm. They're playing their characters. Right. That is a meta thing. Yeah. That's how you do it smartly. But doing like it as a joke from pop culture is just lazy and it's just sometimes it's it's cringe. Yeah. And listen here, everyone out there. Don't get mad at us, please. Mostly me. Don't get mad at me. You can get get mad at David if you want, but don't get mad at me. 
this is a critical evaluation. Yeah. We're fans, but we also do a critical evaluation. So if there's something that doesn't work or just feels a little forced, we're going to say it. We're going to say it. And, and stuff like that just doesn't work for me. I'm not a fan service guy. I, this is one of the reasons why I love this episode is because they're, they're not making mistakes that a lot of long running franchises make. No. Outside of the, the whole captain thing. And I understand people like to have fun. I, I don't like to have fun. So that's probably <laughs> why I don't like it. But my point is, is that for the most part, this show is trying to stand on its own, even though it's based on the original enterprise and a lot of our core characters who eventually be, uh, become our legacy characters, but they're still trying to do something new. For example, with commander Pelia and this new alien species that we've never heard of. Uh, the Lanthanite? Lanthanites. 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 Were fantastic. We don't know anything about them. Completely new. Apparently, they're a species that lived within human society. In secret. In secret. Yes. And they didn't reveal themselves until the 22nd century. And one of the first people, interesting enough, that Pelia came out to, as she said it, was Spock's mother, Amanda Grayson. So there's that connection there. So I like this character. There is massive potential here. This idea that they pretty much live forever. Talk about you, David. Already, I can see it. There is philosophy to be used for someone who lives forever. When she said boredom yes. is the worst thing. Is the worst thing. There is a lot of philosophy pertaining to longevity of life and boredom. That's why I got so giddy when they were talking and Spock was like saying, Oh, it's the death of your loved ones. And then she just stops and goes, no, it's boredom. Yeah. I, and I'm I like going, hope they explore that. more. I man. loved that moment because I'm like going, yeah, Spock, you're being a little melodramatic. <laughs> <laughs> and it's understandable. You're being emotional. Yeah. He, come on. But philosophically, the worst thing you could possibly do to a person who's long lived like that is absolute boredom. Yeah. You don't do anything. You did touch on something that's very sad, though. The fact that Spock said that you yeah. outlive your loved ones. Yeah. That your is loved exactly ones. what he does. Yeah. How sad is that? If that's the first thing he thinks about, that puts his later life, his twilight yes. years into perspective. Into perspective. Is he longing for his life? His friends and the people he's lost. Because it, it touches on that character's legacy. We know what Spock does later in his life and what's important to him. Yeah. I mean, when he says that, I immediately thought about Wrath, the end of Wrath of Khan 2. Why is he willing to sacrifice his own life? Mm -hmm. Because he loves his crew. He loves his, quote unquote, family that much that he's willing to sacrifice himself. Yeah. He, because Why? He's come to this conclusion that basically I don't want to outlive my loved one. Yeah. That's, uh, and I was like going, that puts it so much into perspective. <laughs> it does. When he dies and why it affects the crew so badly, because you have this one person just saying that I don't want to outlive you guys. Well, not just that, but look at what they did in 2009, the reboot and how he is the last one. He's the last one. And he gets thrown back to his, to past. his past to watch everything again. Yeah. And like the, the, for me, I never, it, it's funny because it is a, it is a scene in the original reboot that a lot of people kind of say, you know, it is kind of sad when you think about it is when the very end, when Spock is looking at it and he's reciting the words that he knows that he says in it, when he's on the enterprise mm -hmm. and he's talking about, Oh, ship impulses to, to full, blah, da, 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 da. And he's essentially remembering his past life and watching all the people that he cared about before they all are gone. Yeah. <laughs> and when you think about it, that is really, it is really sad because like Spock essentially goes back in time. And if you look at that entire crew, he's the last one. Yeah. It's, it's sad. That, that's up your alley right there, isn't I, it? Mike? I love sadness. <laughs> I love sadness. <laughs> I, what is wrong with me, David? Can we have a counseling session right now? Counseling session. 
Okay, so we only have five minutes. We're not going to be able to do a Patreon show because we're running way late. So I want to knock through a couple points really fast, David. Okay. okay. Mbanga has a bit of PTSD from the Klingon <laughs> War. I hope they explore that. that. Cool. Yeah, that whole action sequence too. When he what did they inject themselves with adrenaline? Yeah, it was Is like that a, what that it was? was like almost kind of like an a, a adrenaline gland that basically helped them get strength, strength, yeah. and speed and everything. Yeah, I thought that was cool. It also dealt with a problem that I have a lot. Klingons are supposed to be warriors. Oh my God, they're supposed to be super strong. Who dedicate their entire life to learning how to fight and kill people in numerous, countless ways. ways. And they can break you in half. That was my biggest, and I love Discovery, but that was my biggest problem with that pilot episode. I know a lot of people complained about the mutiny. A lot of people complained about the violence. You know what I complained about? That Burnham, who's a buck five, and George <laughs> O, who's maybe 90 pounds, took on Klingons with their fists. A captain, of uh, a Klingon captain. Who's apparently the one of those strongest warriors in their clan. Yeah. I was like, no, that's not going to happen. So when they do something like this, where they purposely draw attention to the fact that they're injecting themselves with adrenaline and then the both of them can fight the Klingons toe to toe in a more viable way that that makes sense. I liked it. It worked. Well, you know, what's awesome too, just on a side note with the Klingons, the, what they've done with the alien species in strange new worlds has been fantastic because they've actually added an element of tension and threat level to them. We now what? understand that basically the clans are freaking strong. They can break you in half. Who are the clans? The Klingons. <laughs> and, and it goes to like, even like the Gorn. Dude, the Gorn are like yeah, the scariest yeah. thing on the planet now I in do, Star Trek. I love it. I don't want to be impregnated by a Gorn and have them like spewing Depends. out at me. Have you ever seen a female Gorn? <laughs> Let's talk about the Klingons briefly. We have 30 seconds. Okay. I'm so glad they're repairing the look of the Klingons because that is the, that is the single biggest mistake discovery made. Yeah. Was making them look like some, not even reptilian. They look amphibian. Yeah. And they had weird hands and their ridges didn't quite work. And I had said when people were complaining, I, I wasn't on board how they looked but I, I analyzed their ridges and I went back to other iterations of Trek. The Klingons have always had variations. Now, obviously, let's forget the original series. That's because they just didn't have the budget or the means to make Klingons the way Roddenberry wanted them to look. Yes. And of course, he fixed that, I believe, what, in the, the very first movie, the motion picture. Yes. My point is, if you look at the motion picture on, Klingons always have... They have different ridges. It's no different than a facial structure for a human. So the ridges aspect didn't bother me. So when we moved into season two and the Klingon culture changed a bit, they started adopting hair again. Yes. Then uh, they still didn't quite look like they should. But then later in that season, they introduced more variations of Klingons. Klingons. And like, okay, now we're getting closer and closer. So retrospectively, season one the way or of discovery, the way the Klingons look didn't doesn't bother me as much because they're simply evolving. Yes. And they're restructuring things to make sense. Cause if you looked at the scenes at the end with the Klingons, there are versions that look a lot closer to discovery. And then there are versions that look a lot more on par with what we're all comfortable with. Yes. And we are familiar with. So I, I like that they're drawing it. Not drawing attention, but they're rectifying some some past mistakes. There's something to be said, David, when a major studio and executive producers behind a franchise can admit, even if not vocally, but through their tactics in storytelling, they make changes. Because yeah. there's a lot of franchises nowadays and producers behind them star wars that basically just <laughs> nah. gives middle fingers to fans and say well fuck you if you don't like this and yes. we're gonna fight with our own fans on social media where star trek's like hey listen don't be fucking trolls motherfuckers but you might be right you might be right you know, here make we're some gonna changes here we're gonna make a few changes and you know make sure that visual continuity matches what our fan base knows of us yeah so lastly the gorn 
Oh, dude, I is can't this wait. the myth arc? Because even though this isn't, it is. even though this isn't a serial, this is uh, I call this an episodic hybrid because it has serialized moments, as Akiva Goldsman had said before the the start of season one. That for the most part, each episode will be standalone. Yeah, but they're going to have those myth arc moments that keep the entire season cohesive. Is the Gorn our main obstacle for the season? I think so, dude. Just because. It goes back to what me and you were saying about every Star Trek series has to have that one Their threat. Threat. TNG had what? The Borg. The original series had the Romulan. That's right. Yeah. Deep the Space Nine. Deep Space had- Nine had the Dominion. And Enterprise had, I forgot what the, the species was called that came in uh, nearly annihilated. The Zindi. Them. The Zindi. And then you have. Of, get, of course, in the Voyager, the Borg again, but like they they also had another villain. They, they tried had another, for about four seasons. Uh, those the Kazon, the Kazon, the Kazon. Kazon. Yeah. But like here, I am so excited that I really think the Gorn is basically their their main antagonist. I hope so, but they also have to be very careful because I believe the majority of the Federation Starfleet never had seen a Gorn until. Kirk fought against one in the uh, what was the episode title arena the arena because so like, they have to be careful and so far they have managed to make two very strong episodes that featured the Gorn last season well I think what I'm excited showing about them. what I'm excited about for the Gorn is the possibility of them explaining why the Gorn are never seen because I think that that is going to be the ultimate thing for Pike's crew is dealing with the Gorm situation and making sure that the Gorn are not in Federation space anymore. Because if you think about it, Mike, the Gorn are more dangerous than the Borg. They like the Borg, you know, they come in and they assimilate everything, right? The Gorn come in and they just impregnate people. And basically that's how their species propagates it's like a virus it's kind of like rape kind of (laughs) dude do you remember that one episode oh my god it was so horrifying yeah and like it'll always stick with me with hammer's death that basically yeah the gorn are not some some silly little race that they're gonna throw away no they're a threat they're a legit threat all right so we do need to bring our show to an end I did have some things that I want to get into about the cinematography as well as the visual effects. Fortunately, they're not time sensitive. They're not specific per se to the episode. So yeah. I'm going to push it to next week. And we'll, if we have time on our regular show, we'll talk about it. If not, we'll talk about it on the Patreon show. Cause we're completely out of time today. We're an hour and 15 minutes. Plus we did 30 minutes on our pre-show. That's our allotment of time for today. All right. So my RMD score, I'm going to keep it simple. It's hard not to give this episode a 90%. I don't want to go too high. <laughs> you don't. You don't uh, wanna... But I'll start things off with a 90%. Go ahead, Dave. I'm ahead of you then because I'm, I'm fully on board with Strange New Worlds. And just really quickly, I gave this one a 95. Okay. So it's a hot start. All right. A hot, look at you, a hot, hot start. start. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.